Father, we give thanks for the freedom that we have in this country. We give thanks that we can open up your word openly, that we can meet together as a, as a family. Father, we lift up to you Christians all around the world who are persecuted um, if they open up your word, who can't meet together openly, who can't acknowledge their faith and their trust in you. Father, we give thanks that we here today can open your word. Just pray that you'll soften our hearts as we hear your word read and preached. Just pray that you will be with Duncan this morning and that your spirit will speak through him and that you'll teach us through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. We're now going to have Bruce come and read our Bible reading for this morning and then Duncan's going to preach for us. So reading from Colossians 3.17 through to 4 verse 1. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do... Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Hello everyone, it's really great to be back with you uh, after a little while away. Um, we had a really lovely time um, and yeah, look forward to sharing some of that with you along the way. And we're very thankful for the um, blessing it was to just have that time off and we've come back feeling refreshed and energised. Um, uh, but I thought to help me get over my post-holiday blues, anyone know about post-holiday blues? I thought I'd relive a qu- few quick memories with you. So here's my, me and my sister on the um, Northern Irish coastline. Um, uh, someone was saying, to, if you just shave me, I look exactly like my sister. I prefer to say, if, if, if she just grows a beard, she looks exactly like me. So, uh, no. Uh, it was just lovely to, be, to spend time with um, my sister Katie, who I haven't seen for a long time and with her family too. Uh, we climbed up um, this uh, mountain, Mount Slemish, which is apparently where St. Patrick lived, so that was pretty, pretty cool. One highlight, though, was driving through the highlands in Scotland, so that'll be the next photo coming along, along this windy single-lane road up through rugged, windswept mountains covered in heather. It really took our breath away. It was really spectacular. But the thing about going on holiday, though, is you come home at the end of it. Um, and the sobering thing about coming home is, I've realised, you're still the same person. Um, <laughs> so I'm still the same thoughtless husband at times and, and, and annoying dad and bumbling pastor. 
Uh, I still have the cluttered garage to clean out and the bills to pay and the leaky gutter to fix. Now, don't get me wrong. Our break has really has helped me to re-enter those things refreshed in a better space, I think, which is why those kind of breaks are so important. But it's, this made me realise it's, it's actually here. It's at home, in the day-to-day, where life is lived out, right? Now, there's something of that dynamic going on at this point in the letter to the Colossians, uh, in this book. I'm, I'm sort of a little bit envious not having been able to be with you up to this point because it's such a rich letter, isn't it? And one of my favourite parts of the, the New Testament, this book. Uh, up to this point, Paul has really sort of driven you up the Scottish Highlands, if I can put it like that. He's taken you to the heights, to these spectacular views, um, and shown you these amazing things. It's been an incredible letter, written, in, written to this small gathering of Christians in Colossae. Um, uh, they might have been a small and unimpressive group, but something incredible had happened to them, something unbelievable. Um, they'd heard this message, uh, the gospel, they'd believed it, they'd put their trust in it. This message was about Jesus, the Lord of creation, who out of his great love gave himself to die in their place so that they, who were once God's enemies, might be reconciled to him. And not only that, this message was not only how he died, but how he rose again as the Lord of a new creation. And last week he looked at how being connected to Jesus, being united to him by faith, means that you, you have died and have risen again with him in a real and powerful way if your trust is in him. You have a new identity you have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with him. Christ is now your life. And that transforms who you are. It transforms how you live. Uh, if you are here last week, you remember Paul uses that great image of clothing. He says, take off those things that belong to your old life. Sexual immorality, greed, anger, malice, slander. Take those things off. They belong to your old self. And, but it doesn't just leave it there. Clothe yourselves with these beautiful virtues. Uh, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and forgiveness and love. See what's going on in this letter. Christ is bringing peace and order to the whole creation, to the cosmos, and he wants that peace and order to flow down into his church as we gather together and let his gospel dwell richly among us as we sing praise to him and we admonish and teach one another. But it's not just here, is it? It's not just here gathered in this family of the church. If the, if the gospel is true, it touches every part of your life. It sinks right down into the cracks, right? The deepest parts of your life. There's no door that's closed to Jesus and his life-giving power. See, it's, it's not as if being a Christian is like an add-on to your life, right? You're a student or a grandparent or a worker or a boss. You're a sports fan or a knitter. You're a progressive or a conservative. And you happen to be a Christian too. It's kind of 
It's sort of just another element of who you are sits alongside. It's important, sure, but it sort of just makes up part of who you are. If you're a Christian, Christ is your life. He's not an add-on to your life. He is your Lord. Um, not just on Sundays and Thursday nights, right? not, not just when you're with your church family, but 24-7, right down to the everyday grind, behind closed doors. Now, I reckon it's easy for us to hear that and think, oh, it sounds a bit stifling, doesn't it? <laughs> it's kind of, is, this, is this talking about some kind of cosmic big brother? I think we, we only think that, though, because we don't know Jesus well enough. Uh, we'd be right to be nervous about this claim of absolute lordship. We'd be right to be nervous about it from anyone else. But with Jesus, it's wonderful. It's what you were made for. It's what puts us back together in right order. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's the mystery kept hidden for long ages, but who now has been made known in the gospel, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Hopefully that's all familiar. This is all ground that Paul's covered in Colossians. And coming under his lordship is a free gift of his grace. Remember, right back in chapter 1, God has rescued, he has rescued us by his grace out of the dominion of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of, of sins. That's all been given to us. We've received this amazing gift of Christ as Lord. And the, the, call, the big call of Colossians is, just as you have received him as Lord, Go on, continue to live your life, grounded in him, built up in him. Paul sums up uh, in the verse you finished with last week, 3 verse 17, he sums up this response like this, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's kind of like we had this banner waving over us all the time, Jesus is Lord. If you can't, you know, you should picture that of yourself, you know, wherever you go. Jesus is Lord. Uh, every moment is lived under his name, under his authority as his representative. And living under his banner is wonderful. That's why Paul says, giving thanks to God the Father. It's thankfulness. This not cold or bitter kind of duty. <laughs> That's the tone of this new life. Um, thankfulness for the amazing gift that's been given to you. It's really important we see this before going on to what comes next. Uh, what God is, gives us here in this passage we're thinking about today is precious instruction for how he wants to bring peace and order into our lives. Right down into the cracks, into the everyday, behind closed doors, details of our lives. But notice how all the way through... Um, maybe you picked this up as you've read through. All the way through, the motive for what Paul says here, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So 
um, wives submitting themselves to their husbands is not actually primarily for their sake, but as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, children obeying their parents is not primarily for, the, their, for their sake, but why? Because it pleases the Lord. Slaves obeying, similar for slaves obeying masters, uh, they're, they're not actually working really for their masters, they're working for the Lord. And slaves knowing that they have their own master in heaven. Uh, masters knowing they have their own master in heaven. See, see what's going on all through this passage, all the way through. Paul's trying to reshape our, our thinking, our motives, our hearts, so that we go about all our everyday relationships with the first and most important thought being not what pleases me, but what pleases my Lord. What pleases my Lord? Is what I'm about to say or do something that is in his name, kind of under his banner? So what does that look like once you leave here and head home or, uh, and sort of close the door to your home or as you go to work tomorrow morning? Uh, what does this look like to live, to do everything <laughs> In the name of Jesus. Well, on one level, um, the things all Paul's already said go a long way for us. Putting off our old selves, clothing ourselves in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, forgiveness and love. Uh, they go a long way, don't they, to answering that question. That's kind of what it looks like. But what God does here in his word is he zooms in from that more general instruction to the specifics of the different relationships that um, the people in the church of Colossae found themselves in and, and we find ourselves in. Not all of them will apply to you, obviously, um, but it's important that all of us hear these, even if they don't directly apply to you, so that you can encourage and pray for these kind of relationships. And it's, they're kind of a springboard, actually, to think, well, in all of my relationships, actually, whatever they are, how am I living uh, in the name of Jesus, my Lord? So um, let's dive into these instructions that Paul gives. But I, a few quick things before we kind of get to each one of them. It's really, I think it's really quite striking how brief this little passage is. Uh, I, I've got a few books and read quite a number of books on these issues, on sort of marriage and family life, and there's often some good wisdom in them. But sometimes you get the impression that there's one very defined and all-comprehensive way that all families should follow, or, and it can kind of actually lead to a kind of legalism about family life. What we actually get in the Bible is not a comprehensive set of rules for every situation. There's freedom to work these principles out, and that's going to look different. It's going to look different in different cultures, uh, different people, different, um, different uh, families. So that's just interesting to note that this is actually quite a brief instruction. But the fact it's so brief also means we really need to listen up to what is being said here uh, so we can put it into practice. Uh, one other really, sorry, uh, there's a bit to sort of get to before we actually get to the text, but one other really big picture, important thing about this passage is notice how each person in these different relationships is directly talked to. Like each person is addressed. Each member of this, in these networks, these, these different pairings, and each person is 
treated with the incredible equality and dignity and moral kind of integrity. That would have been really shocking back in the first century um, that wives and children and slaves were directly addressed. And that, I think that is really important. It, this text does not say, husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. Or wives, insist that your husbands love you in this particular way. Uh, too easy, it's, it, it's way too easy in family life to be focused on the other people, right? <laughs> uh, to kind of make a project of your spouse or your children or your parents. And it's so easy that, to do that and it just it leads to resentment and bitterness. What God's word is saying here is that we mustn't do that. That the person to make a project out of is yourself. Uh, other people in these relationships have their own relationship with, with God, with their Lord. Uh, and how they follow this word is in a way between them and their Lord. You're called to take responsibility in the Lord for your own contribution. And to sort of give others that space to do the same. So let's hear this um, as is fitting, uh, as, as God wants us to hear it to each of us where we're at. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that, the word submit, um, it, it's sort of a controversial word, of course. Uh, it literally means order yourself under. It, it's an image of willingly kind of entrusting yourself to another person. Uh, I, I think our society really kind of hates this idea. Um, and, and there's lots of reasons for that. We uh, have kind of, um, we, we have believed uh, an idea about life that happiness is about being independent um, and to submit to another person is to give up your freedom and, and your happiness. But if you're a Christian, you should know better than that, right? You do know better than that. Submission is actually a very Christian way to be. Uh, it's a very, and by that I mean it's a very Christ-like way to be. Following our Lord who submitted himself to his Father and in doing so no way diminished his equality with his Father. This is who Jesus' people are. This is kind of very ordinary for Christians. We order ourselves under others. Um, in a similar passage in Ephesians 5 that actually talks a bit more fully about these issues, before talking to the different relationships in marriage, and uh, Paul says to all the Christians gathered, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So men and women are stunningly equal in the Lord, equal as his children, equal in our sin, and equal in our need of salvation, in the offer of the gospel and our access to God's spirit. That's why there's absolutely no place for abuse in a Christian marriage. That has tragically happened. And uh, a great evil has been done that this verse has been used to justify that, and others like it, to justify deeply unchristian behaviours. That's wrong and evil and should not be tolerated. But we mustn't let human sin undermine our trust in God's word 
and in his good design. Uh, in God's design for family life, it's right and proper, what we're being told here, uh, for a, a wife to pay particular attention to the way in which she orders herself under her husband and, and particularly to in, entrust herself to him and his care. Which is where the next part is so crucial. Uh, I know there's lots of unanswered questions there. I'm not, not going to answer them. Um, but the next part of this is so crucial. Uh, these go together, otherwise it breaks down. Ma uh, marriage is kind of like a dance. Um, and two people embracing God's good design, equal partners, but not interchangeable. You know, when you, uh, that's what sort of dance partners are. They're totally equal in producing this beautiful thing, but they're not interchangeable. Each have their own good role. And this is for husbands. Husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So if you're a husband, your solemn and God-given responsibility is to love your wife. Um, in Ephesians 5, you see just how ex ex like that, that, that is not an easy thing to say. Because in Ephesians 5, Paul says, uh, you love your wives as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved the church. That's the model. Dying to yourself, day by day, in self-giving love. And Paul narrows down to a particular um, sin that is particular to many husbands, I think, by saying, and do not be harsh with them, or perhaps resentful towards them. Not to be harsh or resentful, but to love her as you have been loved by Christ. A kind of love. How does, what does Christ's love do for his bride, the church? It leads to her flourishing. That's the model for husbands. This dance can go terribly wrong. And we're all aware of that. And sort of we jumps to our minds the what-ifs and the exceptions. Uh, often I think uh, we can have a response or our, our culture's response might be just to give up on that altogether. There's a more subtle way of responding to it which is I think also not helpful which is to try and kind of subvert it. You get a great example of this in, you know, the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Uh, the mum says, husband may be the head but wife, she's the neck and can turn the head wherever she wants. I mean, it's a funny line, right? It's a great moment in the movie. But, but can you see how actually... If you think about it, it's actually a, a terrible rejection of this. And it, it fails to see the goodness and the beauty of God's design. Um, this really is for our good. This is how Christ is bringing his peace and order behind the closed doors of your life. Okay, let's move on. Um, children. Lots of, a number of children here. And this is God's word for you. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I think uh, there's, a, you know, one question is, what does he mean by children? When do you stop being a child? All that, that sort of stuff. It's, it's not entirely clear. Um, I think it's probably most helpful to take this as, as meaning children who are dependent, living with the, you know, under the roof of their, their parents. 
uh, not adult children, um, whose sort of role switches from obedience to honour, um, which carries on for the rest of their life. Um, but it's easy to think of what-ifs, I think, here. What if a parent tells a child to do something sinful? What about the, the terrible situation of abuse? Um, all those what-ifs. Uh, again, I'm not going to really address uh, those. There are, they require thoughtful and pastoral and individual responses. But the general principle here is clear, isn't it? Kids, kids, you might not have been listening up to this point, but please listen now. <laughs> it pleases God when you obey your parents. It pleases him because he's given your parents the job of caring for you and loving you as you grow up to help you grow and obeying them helps them to do that. So children, obey your parents as is, for this pleases the Lord. And, but again, just like the, the, the previous kind of pairing, there's two sides to this, isn't it? Paul talks to parents and fathers especially. That's quite interesting, isn't it, that he highlights fathers here. So dads, don't outsource parenting to your wives. Um, your relationship with your kids is vital. And notice what he doesn't say. Fathers insist on, this is sort of similar to what we are talking about before, right? Insist on absolute obedience from your children. Um, I'm reading a, uh, rereading um, the book by, David, uh, by um, Charles Dickens called David Copperfield. Anyone else read this book? Great book. There's a character in it called Mr. Murdston, uh, who becomes David's stepfather and whose great goal in life, anyone remember this, has read it? His great goal in life is firmness. Um, it says, Mr. Murdston was firm. Nobody in his world was to be so firm as Mr. Murdston. And if you know the story, Mr. Murdston's firmness, he gives it a spiritual justification, sort of he, he, he justifies it um, religiously, and it leads to great suffering for just about everyone around him, actually. That is not at all the picture that you get here. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So dads, your great goal is not firmness, but encouragement. Encouragement. It's all too easy. It is all too easy for us to discourage and embitter our kids. Something that needs constant attention, doesn't it? And if you're, if you're a dad here, you'll, I know you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it doesn't mean be a pushover and do everything that your kids want. It's right to gently discipline in love. But let's make sure our discipline is far out, outweighed by our encouragement and doesn't lead to an embittered and discouraged child. Okay, uh, one more set of relationships. There's so much in here, isn't there? Um, and it seems like a bit of a jump here in verse 22. From, we've gone from the kind of family life, domestic scene, to slaves and masters. Uh, but in the ancient world, it wouldn't have been a jump at all because uh, they were all kind of intertwined. Slaves were part of the household. Uh, the, the households were large. The amazing thing about the church in the first century was that it brought slaves and masters together equally in Christ. Uh, we've just heard earlier in chapter 3... Here, there is no slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. 
In fact, um, it's uh, one. I don't know. Uh, maybe you've sort of um, looked into this as you looked at the letter to the Colossians, but um, the letter was brought to the church from Paul by a guy named Onesimus, um, who was himself a slave who had run away from his master in Colossae. So a guy named Philemon. If that rings a bell, then it should, because it's probable that uh, Onesimus brought two letters with him, one to the church in Colossae and one to Philemon, his old slave master. Uh, it's, it's possible even that this church is meeting in Philemon's house. Uh, it's an incredible picture, actually, and well worth reading Philemon. I really encourage you to go and do that. Uh, it's an easy, short read, but a beautiful insight into the incredible unity that the gospel brings. Uh, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with these letters, and in, in that other letter, he says, he, he says to Philemon, I'm sending uh, Onesimus to you, who is my very heart, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. So Onesimus had become a Christian while he was away, and Paul sends him back um, as a brother. You see, all these very powerful seeds, all through the New Testament, that would end up flourishing um, and leading to actually the abolition of slavery, of the slave trade. But here in this more general letter in Colossians, uh, Paul, it is interesting, striking, isn't it? Paul doesn't say, masters, release your slaves, which is sort of what we'd expect him to say, right? So what's going on? Uh, it's not an easy... Uh, it's, it's, there's lots of things sort of going on in the background. I think it's important to see that slavery was very different back then from what we normally come, comes to mind for us, the 19th century kind of race-based slave trade. Uh, still, I'm not saying it was a good thing, but it wasn't the same. Slaves had certain rights, they could gain their freedom, and a huge percentage, uh, apparently around 80 or 90% of the population of Rome were slaves or had once been slaves. Um, uh, in another place, Paul does condemn slave trading, so that's helpful to keep in mind. But I think actually there's something really important going on here. Paul is focused on another type of slavery through this letter. Another type of slavery that everyone is in, regardless of your social standing. Our slavery to the dominion of darkness that the gospel sets us free from. He is more focused on the gospel. If I can put it sort of quite blunt, uh, sort of bluntly, I think, he, Paul is more focused on the gospel than political activism. He, he's focused on seeing hearts transformed more than policies changed. Not, uh, those things are good to attend to when and if we can, but that's not Paul's great driving desire and focus. Whatever circumstances we're in, Paul wants you to know that there is a deeper, truer, more sure freedom, a truer identity that Christ gives you. You might be a slave down here, but in the Lord you're free. Really? I mean, that is the truth about you, the true truth, the deepest truth. You might be a master down here, but in the Lord 
You, you are his slave, really. And so Paul calls on slaves to be the best workers in verse 23, working with all their heart because they're actually working for the Lord and knowing they'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Uh, and masters in 4 verse 1 are, are to treat their slaves fairly and justly, knowing that they also have a master in heaven. So how do, what do we make of all that? Uh, we sort of skimmed over that a little bit. Um, I think there's a kind of how much more application for us in this. Uh, what, what, I mean, what do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean is, if this is how slaves and masters were to relate to each other, how much more for us in the different situations we find ourselves um, working as for the Lord with sincerity of heart, being just and fair, providing rightly for those we have responsibility for. Uh, that might be for you at work. Um, it might be for you at school. It might be even as you serve around your church family. How much more are these principles here for us to put into practice too? So, friends, it is so helpful to have this instruction from God through his apostle. Uh, I just want to finish, though, by drawing our eyes back to the big picture, to the motivation and power that there is for us to put these things into practice. You have failed. <laughs> All of us have failed many times in these areas. And it could be easy to respond with kind of despair or just throwing in the towel or just kind of ignoring it, keeping it in the too hard basket. But the gospel gives us, gives you endless resources to keep growing as Christ's person. Through the power of his spirit, his spirit of holiness that is at work in you. Don't give up on that. Turn back in repentance and faith today and ask his help to be the wife or husband or child or father or worker or boss or whatever you are in any relationship that you have. To live to please your Lord, to do everything in his name. Through the gospel you have received the most amazing, astounding gift, haven't you? Uh, the precious gift of Christ Jesus as your Lord, as your saving Lord, as your good Lord. So continue to live your life in him. Continue to live your life, every part of it, even behind closed doors when no one else is looking. Continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. We thank you for this precious gift that you've given us, our God, of taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into your, the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In Christ we have been brought to fullness and that liberates us. It changes the way in which we relate here and now. Help us to live in our relationships here
in a way that brings you glory, our God, that comes under your banner. Uh, Give us wisdom as we put this into practice. Give us humble hearts. Uh, Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Help us to do all things in your name and for your glory. We know that we fall so far short of that, but we thank you for the wonderful gifts that we're never so far from you that we can't come back. So help us to come back today. Keep growing us, maturing us and changing us so that we might be a great witness to this world of the beauty and goodness and truth of the gospel. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.